This is Ingredient Insiders. I'm John Magazino. And I'm Andrea Parkins. Each week on Ingredient Insiders, we'll be talking about a specific ingredient with a celebrity chef or noted author. We'll also be speaking with the producer of that ingredient about the history, how it's produced, and why it's so great. This is like capping off our Florida visit, our first time recording outside of the studio in New York. This week, we're talking about something that I really, really love, Andrea. Fried chicken. Who doesn't love fried chicken, John? I I guess vegetarians or vegans, maybe. But other than that, I don't know. I eat chicken. I mean, I was embarrassed to say, like, we're down here in Florida. Mm -hmm. After a long day of sales calls, I don't want to have a big meal at a restaurant. I will go to the supermarket and get a rotisserie chicken. That's kind of like a go-to meal for me. Is it like comfort food for you? Yeah, it's just easy and it's protein and, you know, it's kind of fits with my diet right now. Mm -hmm. And I found this mojo chicken down here that's like a rotisserie mojo. It's so good. Chicken's just great. I would eat fried chicken every day if I didn't think it was not the healthiest thing in the world. Right. I'm always trying to keep the calories off. And Maybe that's why it's so good, though, because it's almost like a special treat or something that you like look forward to eating or you're at your favorite place because you're not going to typically eat fried chicken every day. Do you like your fried chicken hot or cold? Both. I'm open. Do you put any kind of sauce or condiment on your fried chicken? The only thing that I would put on it would be a hot honey. Okay. But I, I'm kind of a purist, I think. I want to taste the breading, the seasoning, that juicy chicken. I I actually, I think I prefer it hot, actually. I don't mind the leftovers, but... So fried chicken is one of those things, Andrea, that is... I I feel like it's so deeply rooted in the United States. You know, when most people think of fried chicken, you're thinking of the southern states in the U.S., soul food. I'm thinking about fried chicken with, you know, collard greens and mac and cheese and coleslaw. I consider fried chicken a comfort food. It makes me feel good. As a kid, my mom would bring home, like, a bucket of KFC. Yes, It was great. I think it's so Americana. I mean, I think people think 4th of July, hot dogs, hamburgers, and things like that. I think fried chicken, like, uh, I think it's like the ultimate picnic basket food. Yeah. It travels well. Mm -hmm. It's it's kind of a perfect food. I'm really excited, though, that we're going to be talking to Lee Schrager all about, you know, fried chicken. He wrote the book on it. Fried chicken is great because you can eat it with your hands. Lee is running the largest food show in the world right now. It's the South Beach Food and Wine Festival, mm-hmm. which takes place in February in Miami. It's on this South week. Beach. It is this week. Uh, over 60,000 people will wow. attend uh, the festival that kicks off on Thursday. He is closer to so many of the greatest chefs in the world, all of the TV personalities, whether it's Rachel Ray or Guy Fieri or Martha Stewart or whomever you name, Lee is on a close contact basis with them. And he puts on this festival that is one of a kind, and it's incredible. I can't wait to talk to him about it, his fried chicken, how he makes it, what his favorite chicken is. We'll also be talking with Ted McGuire from Freebird. This has really become one of the cornerstone products of our company. When I think of some of the greatest clients of Chef's Warehouse, whether it's John George or the Hillstone Restaurant Group, Freebird is the chicken of choice for these incredible restaurants. We brought to market what we feel is the best tasting chicken in America today. So we'll have Ted here to talk all about Freebird and their farms in Pennsylvania and the history of that company. It's a clean product. There's no antibiotics. There's no hormones. This is the kind of chicken that everybody ought to be eating. This episode is in partnership with The Chef's Warehouse and produced by Hey Now Media. So Andrea, 
here we are. We're in Miami, on the road, on location with Ingredient Insiders, and we have a super VIP in the house today. We're in his house. We're in his office. Yeah, true legend. Lee Schrager, who is the founder of the South Beach Wine and Food Festival, so is the New York Wine and Food Festival. Yep. And a senior executive at Southern Glacier Wine and Spirits. Lee Schrager, we're so honored to be here. And especially this week, Lee is as cool as a kitten right now sitting here. And we're about three days away from the largest food and wine festival on the planet, not just in the United States, but in the world. I couldn't believe you said yes. So thank you so much for your time. You know, by this time, my work is done. Everyone on my team and all the thousands of people who work behind the scenes to pull it off, who are the ones sweating it. You know, I sweat the months leading up, you know, locking in the talent and the venues and working with sponsorships. So there's a million things I'm doing, you know, starting in March or April for the following year. You know, right now, you know, I just need to hope for good weather and we're good. So it takes almost a year to plan. It's, this a, type it's, of a, event? it's a full cyclical year. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And how yeah. many years has this been going on? This is our 21st birthday this wow. weekend. So wow. we're very You're excited. Legal. You're legal we're legal. Drink. Hence why we are honoring Guy Fieri at our tribute dinner. We thought what better way to turn 21 than turning one with Guy Fieri. So how many people will attend this year's Food and Wine Festival? Uh, over 60,000 people will wow. attend uh, the festival that kicks off on Thursday. A lot of talent who have never participated because these are all talent who have been in Guy's Triple D show. And there's these small mom and plop places from all over the country who are here. You That's know, awesome. there's always been a lot of fun putting it together. So we're really excited about it. I always feel that I know a lot of chefs yeah. being 20 years working for the chef's warehouse mm -hmm. and selling products to, you know, ing ingredients to chefs. Lee knows every great chef in America, if not the world, the celebrities, the Food Network stars. He has so many amazing stories. And we had dinner the other night. He told me a story about Liz Taylor. We were started talking about Gordon Ramsay. And he, he, you've got a Gordon Ramsay story that I'm dying to hear. So this podcast is Ingredient Insiders. Mm -hmm. And we always love to talk about an ingredient that's near or dear to the person we're talking to. And in your case, we're going to talk about chicken today. You wrote a wonderful book about fried chicken, along with our friend Adina Sussman. Right. Why fried chicken? Because fried chicken has always been one of my favorite go-to foods. And when I was growing up, on Saturday nights, my parents would go out for dinner on Long Island. One Saturday night, we had pizza. And the next Saturday night, we had chicken delight. And they delivered the food in a little Volkswagen with a chicken on top. And their saying was, don't cook tonight, call chicken delight. And I grew up eating fried chicken 26 Saturdays of the year for 10 years. So I, I always had a, uh, you know, a love of fried chicken from that to an all you can eat fried chicken night at Howard Johnson's growing up that my mm -hmm. friends and I used to go to. I had just written my first cookbook. So the first cookbook came out the 10th anniversary of the festival. And it was called the Food Network South Beach Wine and Food Festival cookbook, all my favorite recipes from the 10 years. And I was at brunch. This is a year of the festival. So it's, you know, like 11 years ago. And um, my publisher, who also happened to be the publisher for a lot of personalities, was at the Trisha Yearwood brunch. And I was talking to Trisha Yearwood and we came up and we were talking about the great fried chicken that Art Smith was serving at this brunch. And we started talking about great fried chicken. And Trisha Yearwood said to me, you should really write a fried chicken book. 
and that's how it happened. What is the greatest fried chicken? What does that mean? I love fried chicken. Yeah. Me too. I love supermarket fried chicken. I'm, I'm Publix, best say, fried chicken. Yeah. Interestingly enough, when I saw you a few years ago in Colombia, uh-huh. went to a fried chicken mm-hmm. in the supermarket. Yeah. Like the best. And then you can go to Japan or Korea. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Everyone it's has fried chicken. Universal yeah, sure. thing. Yeah, it is universal. But yeah. what to you is a great fried chicken? What does it mean? Well, first of all, great fried chicken. You know, fried chicken... Is great because you can eat it with your hands. It's, yeah. it's fun. And it's really a basic food. I mean, every country, as you said, has fried chicken, their own take on fried chicken. Some of it's just chicken fried without even any seasoning or, you know, if not dipped in flour or egg or anything like that. So everybody has a fried chicken. I mean, what I learned traveling all over the country, you know, studying fried chicken was really using the right oil, the right seasoning, frying chicken that's cold. It should be cold when you fry it, not room temperature. Brining chicken. I mean, there's a, a lot of great fried chicken. And as you just said, do you use a cast iron pan? I was addicted to cast iron for a period. And those I was buying on eBay in those days. I must have 100 cast iron pans wow. and kettles all boxed up. Don't make fried chicken a lot anymore. It's you know, somewhat messy. It's more work, you know, when you can go to Publix or Joe's or Bojangles or Popeye's has the best fried chicken. I think the biggest fried chicken fail for me is when the breading falls off the chicken. Because mm-hmm. the chicken's warm. So the cold the is cold, what keeps yeah, exactly. the, the, the breading, breading on. Yeah. Or it may just the coating, maybe it's not normally the chicken, you know, uh, was probably warm and that's Got why it. it fell off. What is your go-to recipe? How do you typically make it when you are cooking it at home? I brine it, first of all. Okay. Yeah, and brining is just, you know, basically keeping the chicken in some type of seasoned salty water overnight and it really tenderizes the chicken. So I do that. I, I love buttermilk. Mm-hmm. So I think when you, you know, marinate it, you know, or in buttermilk or yogurt, it, it's really good. It like tenderizes the it chicken? It tenderizes it, so yeah. Do you brine for overnight and then do a yes. buttermilk? I would brine it, cut it up, leave it in uh, buttermilk, and then from there, flour it, and then right into mm-hmm. great oil. You know, there's a place in New York City, and I've never been there on the Upper West Side. Is it Charles? Charles My Gabriel. whole life. I've never been either. Yeah. Reading about it, I just never make it up yeah. there. I have to go after this conversation. I'm already starting to salivate. Well, so his, his recipe's in my book, and he's been down to the festival a few times and does it in the New York Festival. He's the nicest gentleman, makes the best fried chicken. He does it in a kettle, like pan. A, like mm-hmm. a large Cast like a large cast iron pan. Wow. So he does do mass quantities at a time. So it's very fresh yep. and not deep fried. He does it, you know, in a, a little bit of oil and it's really good. Do you feel like it has to have like bone in? There's so many iterations and variations. You have like the Popeye's chicken sandwich craze that it took over. You have Chick-fil-A. Do you think that's fried chicken? Popeye's fried chicken sandwich is the best meal out there. Was it three forty nine or whatever? Yeah. Forget the prep money. If it was thirteen dollars, it was it's an amazing They could probably charge thirteen dollars. They probably could get charge it. it, yeah. A friend of mine is now the CEO of Popeye's. They're a sponsor of our festival now of the chicken event that we do. We do a fried chicken event and champagne at the festival. I always when I run into Sammy, his name is Sammy Siddiqui, the CEO, when I'm know I'm gonna see him like this Wednesday night, he's coming here for dinner. And I said, Don't forget to bring me coupons. <laughs> I'm embarrassed to say I've never been to Popeye's. David Chang is always telling me and talking about how much he loves Popeye's. I think we're going to have to go for lunch after this. The smell like is intoxicating. Yeah. There's one right down the street, right? There's yeah. a fried chicken moment happening in the United States yeah. now, though, with Andrew. You brought up those sandwiches. Yeah. Because Chick-fil-A, very popular, people talking about yeah. it. And I've noticed now that McDonald's has gotten into the game where they're doing a very similar sandwich. Right. And obviously Popeye's is one of the originals too. I don't think I could take McDonald's seriously the, the, though, right? It's not It's not them. I, I will tell you, I've not had a McDonald's fried chicken sandwich. Mm-hmm. I know for a fact, you know, what makes Popeye's so good is they have a brioche bun, mm-hmm. their lettuce is crispy, yep. they have great bread and butter pickles on them. Mm-hmm. 
there's a different quality yeah. of fried chicken. We'll is there go. going to be a uh, fried chicken event this year? Yeah, sure. Yeah. What uh, event is that? Uh, chicken Coop. It's at Saturday night, the 26th at the W Hotel. We about 450 people. Wow. It's a lot of chicken. It's a lot of chicken. It's, I think it's $400 a person, chicken and champagne, and sold out. That's Everything right. Everything yeah. goes good with champagne. Yeah. I went to that event a few years ago. Andrew Carmelini, I remember. Right, right. Carmelini did it. Yeah, yeah. But I think the champagne is like kind of brilliant. It like yeah. cuts through the fat. But it does right? cut. Yeah, it, exactly. Uh, so when I started that event, Chicken Coop, you know, we went to the champagne houses to sponsor it. They're like, we don't want our sh- champagne paired with fried chicken. And of course, it became it's the so most dick popular class event. A yeah, or... true story. They did, you know, it took a lot of talking into to get great, you know, mm-hmm. Tete de Cuve champagnes interested in doing a fried chicken event. I love the highbrow, lowbrow well, stuff. That's the I mean, yeah. people love yeah. to do. Yeah. I, I have a lot of friends who love to have caviar mm-hmm. with fried chicken sure. or caviar and tater tots. Right. It's the chicken and the egg. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. Another thing I love about fried chicken is it can be enjoyed for me just as much cold yeah. as when it comes out hot. Sometimes better cold. I think yeah. I might like yeah. it better cold. Yeah. I went on a catamaran tour of the Keys yeah. on vacation once, and that was what they served, cold fried chicken, because sure. we were on the boat all day. It was perfect. It, it is perfect. so good. I think we're, what we're coming to the conclusion is the fried chicken is the perfect food. We should all eat yes. it every day. Yes. Probably shouldn't eat it every day. <laughs> it's probably not the healthiest of items, but, you know, fried chicken done correctly, there's nothing better. What are some of the other things that you guys like to have with your fried chicken? Yeah, if I say fried chicken, what's the side that you want to eat with it? Biscuits. Biscuits? Yeah. What about you, John? Coleslaw. Yeah. Mac and cheese. Yeah. Well, you see, that's the beauty of the world. Yeah. Of course, I would eat all three. Now, when I think of fried chicken, I think personally of the southern United States. Mm-hmm. But now, Lee, you're, you know, you grew up in Massapequa on Long Island and you were eating fried chicken 26 mm-hmm. week, you know, year, weeks a year. Is fried chicken a southern food or we're talking about it being international as well? But I think the roots in the U.S. are certainly in the south. Incorrect. Where did fried chicken come from? West Africa? Yes. Yes. You did your homework. <laughs> I did. Oh, you yeah. really did your homework. Fri- okay, yeah, fried, talk to me yeah, about yeah. this. Or uh, like Scottish. There's some uh, Scottish uh, roots uh, there too. Absolutely. Yeah. The slaves left Africa and they went to Scotland mm-hmm. or they ended up, you know, when they came to America, they went to the South. So fried chicken was not a Southern dish. If you go to Scotland now though. You know, I've been to Scotland before I wrote a fried chicken cookbook, mm-hmm. but I don't remember yeah, like I don't fried chicken. No, no, no. So you'll make fried chicken at home these days. Do you? Are you looking for a special chicken? Are you just getting anything from the supermarket? Are you an organic? You know, looking for something particular? I always buy kosher because kosher has been brined already. What kosherizing means is basically brining. Mm-hmm. So the work is done for you. So it's much easier. You like so cut a step. You, exactly. You cut a whole step and you cut a whole, you know, you save hours because you're supposed to brine overnight. But kosher fried chicken is brined already. That is a great tip yes. for the home consumer when making fried chicken. Look for that. Do you use the whole bird? Personally, I like a... We talking I'm about, a thigh we girl. Yeah, 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 yeah. talking about here, Andrew. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, definitely like the thigh, but right. you know, some people I only like the breast. Yeah, I like the breast. Okay. Yeah, I like white meat. I fry up the whole chicken. Nice. I like a wing. I like it yeah. all. But you're a wingman. I'm a wingman. If I were to choose like my hierarchy of the chicken and rank them, I would put the wing at the top of really? my pyramid, yeah. believe it or not. Even though it's not as much meat, I find that, and I get weird, I'll crunch yeah. bones and stuff. Then I'll put the thigh at the second position, then the breast. And then the drumstick for me is, I don't know why, I think it's a textural thing, is my mm. kind of my bottom right. of the rung. Well, we are the exact opposite. Definitely breast, thigh, drumstick, wing. Thigh, uh, drumstick, breast, wing for me. I was also thinking, you know, the um, Chinese fried chicken wings? Mm-hmm. Is that fried chicken? Sure. Yeah, it's, I love that. I mean, it's wok fried, you know, with the hoisin and the scallions. It's delicious. I, I love that. There's a great recipe in Fried and True. Oh. Yes. Do I they love- use cornstarch for that? 
To make it crispy? Probably. Would yeah. not, yeah. I'm wondering. I would think so. Well, it's yeah. probably flour and cornstarch, yeah. yeah. I think one of the fun things about this conversation is we've all eaten at some of the you know greatest restaurants on the planet, the highest Michelin starred. And usually on this podcast, we're talking about those restaurants. I'm going to throw out another thing here because we were talking about, you know, we love Popeye's, Chick-fil-A, all of these places and supermarket fried chicken. I was lucky enough to visit Japan a couple of years ago and the best fried chicken we had there was from 7-Eleven. At the register, right. they've got, mm -hmm. and it was Korean fried chicken. And Korean fried chicken kind of, you know, David Chang kind mm -hmm. of popularized it, I think, for a lot of people mm -hmm. uh, in the last decade. What's the difference between... Korean fried chicken and what's called American fried chicken. It's double fried, extra crunchy. And how do you do that? You fry it once, you let it sit, you fry it again. Okay, almost yeah. like what you do with French fries. To the same thing, exactly. Yeah, yeah, same thing. I didn't know that. Yes. I did, see, I just yeah. learned something. So you let the chicken cool completely and then you put you it back in? Again. Exactly. An extra hot oil. That's what gets sick. I think everybody should do Why? Well, yeah. We should be doing this every time yeah. we make fried chicken. If you like extra crunchy. You know when you're like battering right. it, do you double it? No, then okay. it gets too floury and too thick. Yeah. Yeah. I do lightly, I agree. lightly battered. How do you feel about chicken and waffles? You know, I just had it yesterday at uh, Crackers up in uh, Doral. So do you know the story about how chicken and waffles got started? I don't. So Frank Sinatra used to perform in New York City. When he got off whatever time, you know, late in the morning or early in the morning, 2 or 3 a.m., he would go to this restaurant up in Harlem. Maybe it was the Cotton Club. I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. And they had on their menu chicken and waffles. And those were his two favorite dishes. Frank Sinatra is responsible for the chicken and waffle phrase. Wow. Yep. That's incredible. Yep. True story. All blue eyes. Yep. I love chicken and waffles. Yep. Now, will you pour syrup onto your chicken when no. you're eating that? I no. do. I like the hot honey on it. Mm -hmm. The best chicken and waffles I ever had was in Los Angeles. Roscoe's? Uh, Roscoe's. Roscoe's. That's it. That's exactly mm -hmm. it. So, Lee, do you cook a lot at home? So one of the things we love to ask our guests on the show is, what's in your pantry? Like, are there things that are in your home pantry or fridge that you must have at all times, they're kind of your go-to items. Uh, good olive oil. Great. Mm -hmm. Always good salt, good fresh ground pepper, good balsamic vinegar. There's always Nutella. Oh. Yeah. The first four that you said, yeah. the greatest chefs in the world right. will always say that. Uh -huh. Olive oil, a really yeah, good uh -huh. salt, maybe Malden or right, kosher. Right, right, right. Yeah. Vinegar. But Nutella. Yeah. Talk to us yeah. about yeah. Nutella. You know, actually, our housekeeper eats Nutella. So we always have Nutella in the house, and I always eat it, too. How do you I like eat it out of the jar. How do you like your Nutella? Out of a jar. Yeah, straight just up. Like yeah, well, how else would you eat it? I don't know. Toast? No, 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 no. Straight no chaser? No, no, no. I, I eat I, peanut butter that way, too, though. No. I haven't had peanut butter in years, but Nutella I can eat right out of a jar. Mm. Oh. I'll get a craving and uh, just go in. It's like always good pasta, you know, bag pasta in there as well. Then there's a million things, uh, you know, barbecue sauces and marinades and jellies and jams. And, you know, there are hundreds, literally hundreds of things that I've never even opened that, you know, you get, you kind of, you get baskets, you put them in, you know, and you're a condiment guy. No, but oh. people but send them to me. Them. And we yeah. have the same thing because yeah. we're in the food industry. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So people are constantly sending samples and I get all of these things that look so great. Yeah. Maybe it's, you know, some Indian spice mix or That's, some yeah. jams. And I put them in my pantry. And then I find every two years, yeah. I need to go through with a large hefty bag yeah. and be like, I it's never horrible. use this and I'm never going to use it. And something. you feel bad yeah. about doing it, no, but it's course. like, what am I going to do with this? Yeah. I'm never going to use it. So we ask chefs, you know, this podcast is Ingredient Insiders. And initially, John wanted to call it the anchovy. But a lot of our friends thought that it was a bit too polarizing. Mm -hmm. 
Do you like anchovies? No. Okay. I think you're our yeah. first no. No, I don't eat. I don't eat. I don't like fish. Okay. I don't eat fish at all. I eat shellfish. Okay. No, I uh, I have a great Gaston Ocorio story about anchovy. I'm really friendly with Gaston and. First time we went to Lima about seven, eight years ago, you know, we were texting and he said, you know, let's have lunch. So we had lunch and I'm like, oh, please do not pick Lamar, pick like Gaston Nastreed, one of his other restaurants. Mm -hmm. And of course he said, let's meet at Lamar. And it's a hot, hot day in Lima and hot and humid. And we're eating outside in the sun and we start with Pisco Sours. I'm not a big drinker either. All these fish courses, one course comes and it's literally a live eel and they cut it up like sushi and i didn't tell him i don't like fish what are you going to say the world's greatest fish chef you know so i'm eating everything and i'm taking a bite and then gulping you know down a pisco sour so i'm drunk uh <laughs> drunk hot and eating fish so he says oh this is just like anchovies except stronger <laughs> just what you want and i'm like <laughs> they cut it up and then we ate it live like it was squiggling and as it was still in my stomach moving around this oh, is yeah. what you call, that was the definition of taking one for the team. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Lee's yes. got yes. one of the greatest talents, Gaston yeah. Acurio, yeah. who's, as you mentioned, yeah. the Peruvian yeah. chef extraordinaire with seafood. You didn't want to offend him, and you ate the live eel. I ate the live eel. So, no, I don't <laughs> like anchovies. Got it. <laughs> and when, the, you know, no if no. I order a Caesar salad, which I often do, no anchovies. I'm going to take a note. And I, yes, I do know that they're in the dressing. Funny, because we were talking about going to dinner at Lamar tonight mm -hmm. in Miami, which I hear is fabulous. fantastic. He's a, oh, you know, Diego is one of the great chefs. I ate there the years yeah, ago, yeah. and it was good, and I've been yeah. lucky enough to go and eat yeah. at uh, Lamar in Lima. Yeah. But I'm excited for this. Yeah. Uh, he, Diego is so good. And during the pandemic, Lamar had probably the best takeout. Packaged beautifully. It's so great to be back in Miami. And one of the things, I mean, it's so noticeable how much this culinary scene has changed here in the last, I'm going to say last five years. Certainly you've been here longer than that. What is the culinary landscape of Miami right now? What does it mean? I mean, see a lot of New York chefs coming here. And I believe that Miami probably is one of the best food scenes in the country right now. Everybody is here. You know, when you have South, you have Fabio Trabiocchi at Fiola, and then you have Thomas Keller all the way north. You know, people like Jean-Georges and Daniel Ballou and, you know, the Carbone, you know, major food group opening up down here. You got here. Michael White. Who you we have saw Michael White at the, at the surf club. I mean, the food down here. And then you have locals who, you know, people like Michelle Bernstein and mm -hmm. Michael Schwartz and Brad Kilgore. And it used to be that when people said, where do you want to go for dinner, you know, 10 years ago, you had to think of a good restaurant. Now, when people say, where do you want to go to dinner? Certainly Miami is in the top three restaurant cities in the United States. And that wasn't, I, I weren't don't in the top know. 10. Well, I don't think they were in the top 10, yeah. 10 years no, ago, I, 15 I agree years with ago. You on that. I might make an argument that Miami is the number one restaurant city in the United States today wow. with what's going on right now. I, I would agree. When you look at people like, there's a lot Steven of star opening up pastis down here and Carbone people opening up, you know, uh, dirty French in addition to Sedell's. Yeah. And, you know, Carbone that they have here already. And if you look at Sexy Fish that just opened up on Brickle Avenue last week, I mean, that's a $40 million build out in a restaurant. You can keep naming yeah. these restaurants, La Petite Maison, Osaka. Yeah. The list goes on, not to mention Nobu. It, it keeps going on and on and on. There is so much depth. Listen, there's it's not a coincidence also that our company, The Chef's Warehouse, We've been operating in Florida for 12 years out of a 20,000 square foot warehouse. That's expanding to 200,000 square feet 
in May. That is larger than our New York facility. It's true. Yeah. So if that doesn't speak volumes about what's going on in the state of Florida, let alone Miami, I mean, it, this is a vibrant market. It's so great. Do you great. think it's like the tip of the iceberg? Do you think that the next five, 10 years are going to explode even more? I don't know how much more it can explode. You know, I don't know what is missing down here. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of great food down here and the local talent is extraordinary down and here. And there's more coming. Anybody who wants to can open up down here right now. There's plenty of money people looking to invest in great restaurants. Every new hotel is looking to put a signature restaurant in it. I can't imagine it getting any more hot than it is, but whoever thought we'd be where we are today. Well, yeah. I was going to give you a very big compliment, Lee, because I believe that what you've done with the South Beach Wine and Food Festival has a direct correlation to what's gone on in the restaurant world here. I think that I first came to the festival in the early 2000s. I didn't know of Miami. I was a New York kid that I came here and saw, you know, again, to your point, it's February. New York is gold, you know, gray and cold. And then come down here and spend a weekend. The sun is shining. The weather's great. And don't think all those chefs and everybody visiting, particularly in the restaurant industry, were like, hey, I should be here more often. Mm -hmm. And I think that's had a direct impact on the city. Listen, I think in tandem, we don't take credit for it. What we take credit is for being part of it and being there. And I think what we can you know, humbly take credit for is starting this festival that's grown into the nation's largest festival that has brought so much attention to Miami. You know, these people come down, they buy a ticket for Burger Bash for $300. But guess what? They're going out and having a dinner reservation two hours later. Joe Ariel, who owns Gold Belly, I was speaking to him over the weekend. He says, well, where should we go? You have tickets for everything. Why are you going anywhere? He goes, oh, no, we're going to go to Burger Bash on Friday. Then we're going to Carbone. Saturday night, we're going to a taco event because I want to say hello to Ron Sanchez. And then do you think I should go to Haslan or should we go over to Hakkasan? You know, it's, it's amazing. So I think what we've done is brought the people down here. We brought down that media early that shined the light on the locals and, you know, made it known to the world that, you know, the greatest chefs in the world, not in the country, were coming to the festival. And I think it's opened up a lot of opportunity for, you know, the city to make it into one of the top dining destinations. Was that your mission when no, you... No, 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 no. I had no mission. No? Nope. Nope. I just wanted to do it. You know, I, I went to the Aspen Food and Wine Classic mm -hmm. for my uh, birthday, uh, Stephen Reichland, the barbecue... Uh, wrote the Barbecue Bible and Barbecue Planet. He and his wife are great friends of mine. And uh, for my birthday many years, about 23 years ago, they took me to Aspen. You know, it was the granddaddy of all events. Yeah. And I remember coming back, and this is before iPhones, before computers. I remember making notes in the plane saying, I got to do this in South Florida. And that's how it happened. I flew home on a Sunday. Monday morning, I was in the mayor's office, Miami Beach, and I'm saying, hey, we need to do this. That's awesome. Yeah, that's how it happened. One of the other great things which we didn't touch upon, which is maybe as important as anything, is this festival donates a lot of money to the local university here. I mean, tell us a little bit about that. The festival is a 501c3, and we created the festival in partnership, in tandem with Florida International University. And now the hospitality school there is the Chaplin School of Hospitality and Tourism Management. Chaplin family are the owners and the founders of Southern Wine and Spirits, now Southern Glazes Wine and Spirits. And we originally opened the Beverage Management Center at the university about 25 years ago. And now the whole program is named after the Chaplin family. We've raised over $35 million from the festival over the past 20 years. As importantly as the money that we've raised, it's that hands-on opportunity 
that it affords the students. These students get to pour wine alongside some of the greatest winemakers in the world. They get to work along some of the greatest chefs in the world. And I can't tell you how many stories have come out of there of people who have had job opportunities or internships in some of the greatest kitchens and the greatest wineries throughout the world. Well, this has been an amazing conversation, Lee. We could go on and on for hours. We didn't even get the Liz Taylor story again, but we're so excited to be here in Miami the week of the festival. We hope it's a great success. Thank you. And Andrea, let's uh, Google where that Popeye fried chicken is and go get some sandwiches right now. Let's do it. This episode is sponsored by Freebird Chicken, producing antibiotic-free, hormone-free chicken out of Pennsylvania. Well, Andrea, today's a fun one. We get to talk to uh, our good friend, Ted McGuire, the chief sales officer at Freebird Chicken. He's on the line with us, and we're going to talk all about those amazing chickens from Freebird. Hey, Andrea. Hey, John. Thanks for having me. The Chef's Warehouse and Freebird have had a long and wonderful relationship. We sell a lot of these chickens. We love these chickens. What's the history of Freebird? They're produced in Pennsylvania. What makes Freebird so good? Well, Freebird is an in, a vertically integrated uh, poultry producer with two plants, processing plants, based in the Fredericksburg, Pennsylvania. Do uh, control our birds from the hatchery through the family farms, Amish and Mennonite family farms in the Lancaster and Lebanon County areas of Pennsylvania, and then right in through our plants. And we've had a long-standing uh, relationship with the Chef Warehouse back to the old Dairyland days. It's been about 17 years now with exclusivity in several markets. I remember when I started at Chef's 12 years ago, Freebird, you know, at that point it had been in the market for, you know, about five years. I felt like Chef's and Freebird were kind of pioneers in the ABF chicken world. Tyson's and the Purdue's out there. What do you think kind of made that shift for the Chef to want to upgrade their chicken? So we transitioned from commodity chicken, the old College Hill poultry plant is what we converted over to ABF and organic. It was sort of a trend or a niche market out there. And I did uh, go to the chef's warehouse, discuss our program, discuss our animal welfare, discuss our breed and our feed, corn and roasted soybeans in the diet for the birds. We brought to market what we feel is the best tasting chicken in America today. Everybody's got different breeds and feed formulations, but through many years of you know working with poultry scientists and so on, um, we've developed what we feel is the best tasting chicken out there. And I know that there's you know a lot of different ABF brands out there, and they're called air chilled or water chilled. Um, Freebird has made the cautious decision to stay with water chill. Uh, when we do, we do a lot of cuttings, and we just let our customers dictate you know how we're going to take our program forward. And and looking at air chill, cutting against several air chill competitors out there. While that is a phenomenal product that those people are producing and those plants are producing, we still feel that if you're looking for flavor, uh, mouthfeel, tenderness, uh, we want to stay with the water chill. People in America tend to overcook chicken. No one's going to ask you in a restaurant, how do you want your chicken cooked, right? So people err to the side of caution and tend to overcook that chicken just slightly. Or if on a rotisserie program or a whole bird's being cooked, they're left on the warmers. We have a very forgiving bird with the amount of water that is picked up on our on our chickens through the well water chiller at the plant. We do not own stitch injectors, so we do not inject our chickens, which several of our competitors do, as water's cheap and you can sell water. But we try to put forth a water-chilled product that has up to 4% retained water, and we feel that you want that water in there to add to that mouthfeel and that tenderness. The bird of choice for chefs like John George 
and many other great chefs around the country. One of the things I always notice about Freebird is it tastes like chicken. It's a real clean yeah. flavor. Sometimes when I buy some supermarket brands, the giant producers, if you will, without naming names, yep. they have like, I, I don't know, a, like a funky kind of taste to me. You're 100% right. I think it truly does taste how chicken should taste. I know that a lot of the commodity chicken, Teddy and I have talked about this, the woody breast, you see those like white lines almost in it um, that makes it really, really chewy. You're never going to see that with Freebird. What has COVID done to the chicken industry and to Freebird? Well, COVID definitely threw a wrench into uh, the throughput through the plant where we saw, especially in the New York Metroplex or in the Northeast, uh, where, where we ship the vast majority of our pounds. Uh, we found that with the restaurant closures in New York City and such, uh, we were very long at the plant in very short order with no notice with a lot of chicken. So we made a quick pivot into retail and we're able to, you saw a big surge in retail demand. People were packing their freezers. So we did successfully pivot and now we're transitioning back to our sweet spot, which is food service, white tablecloths, fast cash, you know, a lot of fine dining. COVID definitely was something that changed the way we think about our company, think about our business and move forward. Ted, one of the great things about Freebird, obviously all the chefs and restaurateurs that are listening to Ingredient Insiders know that they can get these chickens from Chef's Warehouse house, but consumers at home can also buy Freebird chickens if they live in certain parts of the country. Where is it available for the home consumer to buy? So we're proud to be partnered with a lot of retailers such as Whole Foods Market in several regions throughout the country. Stu Leonard's, we do some private label for them. We're, we're at Citarella's. Awesome. So a lot of retail outlets in the Northeast, if you are shopping for chickens, you should seek out Freebird. Right, more and more, we see that, that the fast casuals are wanting to provide their customers with the best tasting chicken with all the attributes being vegetarian fed. And we're finding that, you know, whether it's you know, Cabo Grill, Sweet Greens, Chuck Cream Salads, Diggins, those Toros, all of these people, Chipotle, have moved away from commodity chicken and wanting to give uh, their consumers an antibiotic-free, vegetarian-fed product. And then moving into the future, they're wanting more. They're wanting it to be, you know, humanely raised, which is why we're proud to, again, be using that third-party verification with the Global Animal Partnership. We're sort of ahead of the game in that respect. That's pretty awesome. I mean, a place like Chipotle. They are thinking about the way that I think most consumers now are thinking when they're buying their food is that they want it to be ABF. They want it to be hormone free. I kind of wonder, Ted, what do you see for the next five or 10 years for the poultry business? What do you see for Freebird? Well, we had seen a pretty a dynamic shift towards like organic in the past few years, especially leading up to COVID. We're seeing a very significant surge in pricing activity, transportation, as everybody knows, you feel it. In your wallet when you fuel your own vehicle, seeing it with our tractor trailers that bring our product to market. So we're seeing a lot of input cost escalations at our plant. It may take away from the consumer's willingness to open the wallet and spend up more for organic, again, pre-COVID. I think that antibiotic-free has a place in, in everybody's refrigerator and everybody's menu. We definitely don't grow to a nine and 10 pound live weight. We grow a 4.8 live for our rotisserie chicken whole bird programs. And then we grow a six and a half for the cut up for your boneless breast and your boneless thighs and, and, and the like. So we're going to, it costs a little bit more to do that because we're not putting the pounds through the plant that we could if we raise bigger birds, but we're going to stay true to who we are and raise a bird that's smaller, it's tender. It's one of the foundational products for the company. It is amazing how many tractor trailers of chickens are going in and out of our warehouses around the country. We're really grateful and, and honored to be working with you guys. Really, really value that partnership. We don't take it lightly.
Thanks so much for listening to this episode. Like what you hear, write us a review and subscribe today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Ingredient Insiders or Twitter at Where Chefs Talk. All the products we talked about on this episode can be purchased at chefswarehouse.com.